The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. Tim continues through Revelation 6 and looks at the concept of Sheol and its use in the Bible. God's justice is real and right and true. We should all be pursuing justice as image bearers of Christ. As we wait for the prophecies of Revelation and the redemption of the earth, we are invited to participate in the kingdom of God, to pursue justice and love one another. Tim begins this episode talking about the limits of death in Hades and why we should not be afraid. What we're going to see is at the end of Revelation, Hades is going to actually be thrown into the lake of fire. It's going to be destroyed. The fortress is going to be torn down. I've already talked about Luke 16, the place, the location of the rich man, and he's in torment. And he looks over and sees Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom. 1 Corinthians 15:55 is interesting. It says, Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, Hades, where's your victory? So, again, in 1 Corinthians, Hades and death are du- as a duo. They're partners. If we look at Revelation 1:18, it says, I am he who lives. This is Jesus speaking, and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. So Jesus, again, we have just a fortress, and it has a door, and it's locked. And Jesus says, I have the key. I can go open this up. I can undo death, which, of course, he already had done at one point. He's resurrected. And the great promise to us is of resurrected. We will be saved from being trapped in a body that doesn't want to do the same thing as our spirit wants to do. Revelation 6, 8, here we see as an actor along with death. And then Revelation 20, 13 is where Hades is abolished. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So here we are, death and Hades are a pair again. The dead are in Hades, and they deliver up the dead. And each one's judged according to his work. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So we see death and Hades, they're going out on a horse, and they're going to reap a fourth of the earth, but they're eventually headed to the lake of fire. That is not going to be a permanent place. So when we talk of hell, we usually get these things all muddled together. But the Bible's actually pretty precise about this. What we call hell is a compilation of a lot of different things that are more properly broken out. And one is Sheol or Hades, and that's a temporary dwelling place for people. Now, who's there now and how that works, I I don't know. I, I can't tell you how that happens. It's very clear that if believers are there, Jesus is there with them. It's very clear if unbelievers are there, it's not a pleasant place to be. But it is clear that at the end of the age, there's still people in there, and it's given up, but they're not going to stay there. The permanent dwelling place for unbelievers is the lake of fire, not Hades. They're They're two separate things. But Hades and death are key actors during this great tribulation. And you see, a fourth of the earth, that would be two billion people in today's world. Two billion people dying. That's a lot of people dying. You know, if you think about how many people died in the great world wars and so forth, it's nothing approaching a fourth of the earth. Purgatory is a concept. The word purgatory comes from the Middle Ages. 
the uh, Reformation actually took place because of purgatory. The word purgatory doesn't show up in the Bible. It's a word purging. The, the idea of purging does show up in the Bible. And that is the idea that your sins are purged with fire. So when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ and you have fire and you're cleansed with fire, that, that is the same idea. The early church very much focused on that event that we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and there's going to be fire. And we're going to see fire here in a minute uh, on the altar. This fire is something that you can either take now in this life and be cleansed and then not have fire at the judgment seat or have fire at the judgment seat. And if you embrace the fire of cleansing in this life, which comes through circumstances and you live in dependence, then what you get is an amazing, incredible reward because you are a conqueror. You overcame sin in this life, and there's a reward. And if you don't, you lose those rewards. The early church church was so driven by this that they had a problem. And the problem was guys wanting to get thrown to the lines in the Colosseum. It's like, you know, take me, take me. I want to be arrested and thrown to the lines. They had to tell people, no, 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 no. If that happens to you, that's okay, but don't volunteer. Your your job is to live as a faithful witness, but not try to get killed. If you get killed, that's fine. That's the way the early church was. And that's why Rome fell. Because they had no power over this huge block of people. That's why they started a second capital. Because we can't control these people anymore. They like dying. And Revelation, of course, is telling us that's the attitude we're supposed to have. Oh, you want to criticize me? Awesome. You, you, want, to run me, you want to run me through the streets because of my faith? I couldn't be better. Unfortunately, though, here's what happened. That massive motivation was now put into the hands of an intermediary. And the church became an institution instead of an org- organism. Instead of a body... It became a building. And the building had a boss. And they realized, man, these people are uber motivated by this. So we can make some real money off of this. So they started telling people, you know, you can die for your faith and all that sort of thing, but there's another way. You can just pay us some money and we'll make that happen because, you know, we're the intermediaries. So pay us for your sins. And then, and we'll take care of it here. See, money substitutes. And the reason why the Reformation took place is because they started saying, we'll give you a lifetime subscription. You know, a coupon book that's in this, they called it, uh, what did they call it? Anybody remember what that term was? Indulgence. Uh, there was a certain, it was, it was a certain kind of indulgence that took care of everything once and for all. And they were, they were selling these things to raise money to build uh, St. Peter's Cathedral, as I recall. I, d- I don't recall exactly. But anyway, they sold these dull indulgences. And that was what created the tipping point for Luther. He said, you know, look, you, you're, you're actually causing poor people to impoverish their families. If you'll read the 95 Thesis, so you can kind of reverse engineer this. You're causing poor people to impoverish their families 
to buy their relatives because you could it wasn't just that you could buy it for yourself you could buy it for all your relatives and they would tell people you know you you got to save all your relatives you got to save your family tree give us your money and it became amazingly corrupt of course the judgment seat of Christ is going to have nothing to do with buying anything as the letter to the Laodiceans made very very clear because he says, if you want gold, buy it from me. And the way you do it is by listening to me. Okay? But we're not, we're not going to see anything about the judgment seat at this point in time. We're just seeing judgment on the earth. All right? Then he gets to the fifth seal. The fifth seal is really fascinating. Because now he doesn't, he doesn't say, come and see. He says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who would be killed as they were, was completed. So we break the fifth seal, and now we're looking at an altar. Now, there's one question that pops up here. Why is there an altar in the throne room in heaven? When you hear the word altar, what do you usually think of happening? A sacrifice, right? So are we killing things on this altar? Does there need to be a sacrifice in heaven? No, there doesn't. But we still have an altar. Well, an altar's role in the Bible is for sin to meet God and to be cleansed. An altar is a place where you go and you ask for something. There's a petition and God engages with the petition. It's a place where you meet God. So here, the souls of are the lives. This is pasuke. You can translate pasuke, soul or life. Interchangeable in my experience. This altar has souls under it. So there's all these people. Millions of people under this altar. So that's another interesting thing. Is this altar gigantic? Are these people tiny? Or, or maybe this is like C.S. Lewis's deal where it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside, where space is different than what we're used to. And it doesn't sound like a wonderful place to go and sit under the altar for a really long time. Why are these people interested in sitting under the altar? Well, they want justice. And look what they're asking. How long are you going to wait? Which tells you what about time in heaven? There's still time. The idea of time shall be no more, sort of, you know, because that means there's no clock ticking until you die. So in that sense, time is no more, but you still are aware of time. We're going to get to a point in the, in the pretty near future where he's going to say there was a pause in heaven for 30 minutes. So John is even aware of time. So they're aware of time, and, they're, and what they want is justice. They want vengeance on the people who killed them. Revelation 8, 5 is uh, just after 8.3, of course. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar. So this altar has fire on it. And in fact, in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah goes to the throne room, he says, man, I'm a man of unclean lips. And an angel comes and takes a coal from the altar and scorches his lips to cleanse them, cauterizes his lips. So there's a fire here to cauterize sin. And when he throws the prayers in, he throws the judgment on sin, the cauterization on sin onto the earth as well. 
Revelation 9, 13. This is the sixth trumpet, the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel, release the four angels. So this is really cool because this is Beauty and the Beast. Be our guest, be our guest, put us to the test. The furniture talks. The altar is speaking. Isn't that awesome? Not only do the animals talk, the furniture talks. Now, I let my imagination run wild with this one. I'm really looking forward to that. We'll see, see where all that goes. Maybe this is the only one, maybe not. But the altar actually has a speaking part. It's, it's engaged in this. Apparently, everything in the throne room has a real purpose, and there's nothing static in there that's just sitting there being used. The altar's alive. And in Revelation 14, 18... Another angel came out from the altar. So the altar apparently is an office tower in addition to being a piece of furniture. And finally, Revelation 16, 7. I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, you are true and righteous are your judgments. So apparently this altar is a pretty central place in the throne room and justice is happening at the altar. Now, I don't know about you, but I long for justice to be done. I long for there to be a time where there's no more injustice. And we still see this to a major degree in the, in, in the culture today. People want justice. I've already spoken to this once, but when Osama bin Laden was killed, there was a national celebration because somebody died. And, you know, you don't even know for sure what his life was been and whether... You just knew he had killed a bunch of our people and was trying to kill more. And, and that ended, and people were happy about it. We want justice, and justice is going to be done. Jesus says, vengeance is mine. I shall repay. And that's what he's going to do. Okay, then we see that it, they're given a white robe and tell them, you know, just hang on, because... Your number has to be fulfilled. So it is, in fact, God's intent that many of us will die. Now, this idea of being a faithful martyr and not fearing death is, in fact, what being an overcomer or a conqueror is. Not fearing death. Not fearing rejection. Now, death is just a separation. When your battery dies, the chemical flow is disconnected from the terminals. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a separation. So lots of things can die. A relationship can die. A dream can die. And in this case, death is something we're not to fear. And we can die to the world. And when we die to the world, the world hates us. And the world will keep pay, pay us back. We will be rejected from the world. That's a very good thing. Don't fear rejection from the world. Don't fear being pushed back from the world. And the world may try to kill us at some point. Don't fear dying for your faith. There are Christians dying for their faith in the world today simply because they believe and will not recant. And that's been the case all the way through. Well, it's going to be very widespread during the Great Tribulation. Let's look at Revelation 14, 13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write... 
because remember, John is writing all this down. This is a book, a letter he's to write. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So there's actually a special blessing to dying for your faith during the Great Tribulation. A special blessing. And in fact, we see this in Scripture that Stephen got an actual hint of this and it was conveyed to us. And he stands up as he's being martyred and says, I see Jesus standing. Because Jesus, of course, is not in the habit of standing when we see the throne room scene. What is he in the habit of doing? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. In the ancient throne rooms, the sovereign doesn't stand. Everybody else stands or goes prostrate on their face. No one sits in the presence of a sovereign. Only the sovereign sits. And here's Jesus standing because Jesus wants to honor Stephen, his faithful witness who did not fear death. And in fact, Stephen was stoned for witnessing about Jesus as Messiah right in the process of that happening. And of course, the Apostle Paul saw that. And no doubt that was part of his image of what he was to be. When he said later, I count my life as nothing. I'm glad to give my life. All these hardships I have being beaten by rods, being thrown in jail, being shipwrecked, it's nothing compared to the amazing glory that I'm looking for. Just like Stephen saw. Stephen saw the sovereign of the universe standing to welcome him because he had been faithful unto death. And that is what we are asked to do. Be faithful unto death. Well, I can either rush or I can quit. I think I'll quit. And what we'll do next time is we'll start the cosmic disturbances in the sixth seal when the moon becomes like blood and the stars to heaven falls. A lot of juicy stuff in this one. And then we'll go into the sealing of the 144,000. So we're going to go from breaking seals to sealing, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. And we're going to see these people sealed. We usually say the term all hell breaks loose, but actually in this case, hell is actually set loose in terms of Hades being set loose and all kinds of horrific things are going to take place on the earth. And so it's going to be very sad to go through this because uh, we, we love the earth. We want to see it restored. But of course, this is just a process to get to the point of restoring the earth. The, our earth is going to actually be remade. And that's what we're headed toward, which is our great hope. God, thank you for the fact that you are always in control. You're always on your throne, no matter what we see happening in this age, we know you're in control. And if something happens, you've authorized it. And if you've authorized it, it's in our best interest. And Lord, as we see these things happen, I pray that you'll help us respond in the way you're encouraging us to respond in this letter, in this book. And that is to be say, okay, this is my opportunity to be a faithful witness. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of destruction. I'm not afraid of rejection. I'm going to trust you. And I pray that you'll give us a special blessing for taking that stand as you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.